This is exactly right. Here we go. Ready? Okay. Were you a cheerleader? <laughs> Do I fucking look like I was a cheerleader? <laughs> Were you? Uh-huh. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And looking back, I shouldn't have been. <laughs> but if you start anything, ready okay is a great way to start. Ready okay. This is my favorite murder, the podcast. Do your hey cheerleaders. Hey cheerleaders get, and cheer don't. And cheer <laughs> get your herkies on. <laughs> it's time for your favorite uh true crime cheerleading podcast, My Favorite Murder. It's time for the first 45 minutes of your first true crime podcast. Where there's no true crime, <laughs> a lot of personal issues. That's Georgia Hardstark. That's Karen Kilgarrett. <laughs> and there's Steven. Ray Morris. Hardstart Kilgariff. We're calling him now. Stephen Hardstart Kilgariff. Yeah, we've changed his name. Oh, Stephen, we legally changed your name. Stephen. Cool. Stephen, we also enrolled you in a Montessori kindergarten just so we could get the experience of being hyphenate parents. That's right. Can I wash my feet? Yes. yes. Did you see someone today on Twitter was like, Georgia, uh, I found this at a library and you weren't wrong. And it's called, it's like a children's book called like, can I wash my feet at Montessori? No. Or some fucking weird, like, next level. By Georgia Hardstock. <laughs> I quickly put it out just to prove <laughs> you wrong. And it worked. You self-published, which is awesome. Then That's you planted right. it in a library. I was like, this murder. Someone's going to look in here. A random murderino with a Twitter account. Love it. Hi, Hi everybody. Hi. How are you? Let's, should we? Oh, yeah. We got. This is a big day. Yeah. We've before the skippers day. start their thing of. Pressing the 15 second forward button 15 I, times, which I fucking do all the time in podcasts. Yeah. Who, how can you not? I mean, uh, I feel like we're past the era of skippers, though. I feel think? like skippers must be gone entirely. I can't imagine. I don't. I can't imagine they stick around for and the then, shit we talk about when it actually right comes down to now, the cases. They're skipping. They're skipping. They're skipping. <laughs> they're skipping. <laughs> and now and Let's still skipping. It. Continuing to skip. Uh, I mean, we just talk about that. I, I guess it's uh, you, you, a lot of shit we talk about later in the episode. You wouldn't understand unless we talk about it. Unless you don't skip. It's like a. It's like days of our lives. You will not know what's happening. Yeah. If you come in at the top of this, the show. It's like choose your own adventure. If you, but unless you don't want an adventure. Right. No. Cowards. Yours, yours was better. Uh, no. <laughs> no, no, no. But what I was going to link it up to is. Screw the skippers because this announcement oh, yeah. is fire yeah. Skip- and lit. Skippers, um, you don't even get, skip ahead right now. Skippers, you don't get this. You get nothing because guess what? We have a big surprise announcement for y'all. We got our shit together yeah. <laughs> after two fucking years of not knowing what we were doing. I mean, yeah, and we're not alone in that. That's for <laughs> sure. <laughs> skippers know what we're talking about. Um, we have a fan, not a fan club. Because that's narcissistic. We have a fan cult. Where we control your every thought and movement. <laughs> we started a fan cult. Um, and we want you to join it, please. Because if you want. If you want and if you have 40 bucks. It's 40 bucks a year. Thirty nine ninety nine. Save that penny. That's true. Pick it up. For shipping. Put it in a shipping. <laughs> All day long. You have good luck. Um, but... With that $40, off the top, you get a shirt and an enamel pin. That's exclu- exclusive as fuck. <laughs> Excuse me. 
It's exclusive as fuck. Right. I uh, can't get it anywhere else. And then also like the big deal about it is that you get first access to buying live show tickets. That's right. A bunch of other stuff like we're going to make videos. There's a, like private chat rooms. It'll be like the Facebook book group but now um, they won't steal your information there well we don't know about that like we can't get no guarantees in this goddamn life uh but you we're gonna post fan art yeah. so you guys can see all the stuff that you make that some people see on instagram some people see on twitter yeah it's all very haphazard and there'll be contests starting with we we're gonna give the um the gal who uh came up with uh, what's our, it? our final segment title, which is fucking hooray. hooray. We're going to give her a little something. You well, get a prize. We're going to give you something. We're just going to give shit away. It's just going to be a fun hangout. I, I think in, um, in business, they call it like it's a second tier rollout platform uh-huh. engagement, Got listener it. engagement. Got it. Karen's corporate. Karen's become corporate. I'm wearing a blazer right now. It's so <laughs> tight on my boobs. I was going to say something, but those things don't fit across an Irish back. I'm going to tell you. Is there an Irish back? Yeah. Oh, there's a back, an Irish? Yeah. We're, there, it's a real wide back because you have to carry bales of hay to thatch your roof. Fuck. This is literally from my 90s act. Oh. Mm-hmm. That's I used to brag about having an Irish back in my <laughs> stand-up comedy routine. Why do I never see you on Comedy Central, Karen? Because I wasn't very good at it. That's why. Okay, but so, okay, as we just said about the fan cult thing, and listen, we're going to stop shilling to you in a fucking hot second. Yeah, right. But so tomorrow, Friday the 13th, hey. yes, we fucking planned this. Yeah. Uh, for years. For years and years. <laughs> it's why we started this podcast. We're announcing our fall tour. Yes. Yay! We're going on another one. We're, we're just going to keep touring until you guys don't feel like doing it with us anymore. <laughs> and then we will gracefully bow out. But until that yeah. time, we're going to try to come to all the cities people want us to come to. That's right. So find out if your town is a town we're going to come to on Friday. Yeah. Until you guys, until we're doing fucking cat cafes and no one's coming <laughs> and the cats are leaving, then we're going to keep doing this. I feel like if, if we can get 20 people together, it'll still be worth it. Do you count cats as people? Four cats, one person? I'm not allowed to because I have dogs. <laughs> but if you want to, count to cats. you can submit the paperwork for me to change my mind. <laughs> okay. okay, so we're announcing the tour on myfavoritemurder.com, which is like redone in a beautiful brand new website that also has our brand new merch on it. Yep. There's a lot of new shit, guys. Okay, on Friday it's the 13th. on that website. Yeah, so check out on Friday the 13th. And see if you're coming to our town. And then over the weekend, you can join the fan cult, which means you'll have first access. They'll give you a password and you'll have first access to to the live show tickets. On Monday morning. Including VIP passes. So those might, yeah, sell out that way. And then on Wednesday, there's going to be... pre-sale with a password which will give you for anybody who's like fuck you and your cult which is I'm fine not, you can't control my mind yeah i don't have 40 dollars. right why are you so elitist yeah yeah i think as the kids say this podcast has blazered itself <laughs> i think this podcast has ripped the back out of its own blazers yes <laughs> they're cheap mervyn's blazers <laughs> It needs to calm down. I just had a flash yeah. of shopping Mervins. So anybody that's not from, I think it's California it only? only. Okay. I'm sure there's like equivalents at some place. We'll hear about it. If Mervins was in your town, we'd like to know. But we, Petaluma had a Mervins, which is one of the only like larger stores in my town. It's like a mini department store. Right. It's like a mini cheap department store. It was almost like the original Target, but it didn't have cool things to buy. It just it's had like. Just department store stuff though. Like a JCPenney. 
Exactly. But Nobody almost cares. like um, lower rent than JCPenney. Yeah. Like JCPenney was for the rich kids. We were over at Mervyn's. <laughs> uh, and that's where you bought us, where everybody in my school and town bought their first bra. So. I was going to say, I stole my first bra <laughs> from Mervyn's. <laughs> we were just trying to pass the fucking time. Dude, the most boring thing in the world was going <sighs> shopping with your mom. At Mervyn's. At Mervyn's. At Mervyn's today. I learned real quick that it, my mom would be like, Come shopping with me. I'll buy you a lipstick or whatever. She'll, she'll buy me a little trinket, which is great. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, okay. But then I didn't realize that meant four and a half hours of my mom in the fucking dressing room. Yes. Like four and a half literal hours. <laughs> of her trying stuff of on. Her trying shit on and a fucking Mac lipstick is not worth it. Um, so she would get that out of you when you were like more of a teen. A or, teen. Yeah. Ha- I think the last time it happened was when I was 16 and I had a fucking nervous <laughs> breakdown on the floor of the fucking. <laughs> changing room of like the beige changing room at like fucking bloomy bloomies what was it called blooming yeah bloomingdales bloomingdales yeah can't oh god i'm, I'm sweating i'm now sweating that's what's funny is my with my mom it was the inverse or she would be like you need a new blank for school or whatever mm-hmm. so we go to close time mm-hmm. which was actually down the strip mall from where my Mervis. mom worked close time no really she worked at the corporate office yeah oh i love it i told oh you about god. how she, <laughs> she and after a meeting, jokingly, like, did the kick her leg up close time thing, but she was wearing a tight skirt and fucking flew out <laughs> her legs from underneath her and landed on her fucking ass in a corporate office. Did people go crazy laughing? I don't know. Which oh, was so I can't see Janet handling that well. I love her, but she's a very formal lady. She's yeah. like, she's very, like, always blown out. She's good with, like, a you know like a i love lucy style guffaw gaff like gaff? I hope so. what's it called uh you know, a, a gaff a gaff a, a stunt stunt fall i can hear our tour our fucking amazing awesome tour agent joe yelling at how badly we're doing about promoting this wait right are we now. still in that fucking promotion <laughs> we're done know. now we're talking about close time and there's new merch at my favorite murder merch.com that's it we said that we have close time oh Lowe's merch is a there. different thing sorry yeah i don't know it's there too but i like okay. yeah that's it oh okay oh, i have a corrections corner hold on i'm telling my close I'm time sorry. story god i forgot i'm sorry <sighs> go now i can't remember what it was <laughs> It was just that my mom would always be like, you can get a new thing. And that yeah. we would be in close time for like 17 minutes because I had to look at every item on every rack because things didn't always look good on me. I had wide hips. I had big, a big butt, big boobs. The fucking Irish back that I just I learned about. I had that fucking Irish back early where I was like, what's happening? Yeah. So I'd try things on. I'd be like, I want to wear plaid this and checkered that because it was the 80s. And <laughs> everyone would be like, no, 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 no. <sighs> Sales and girls. Truly after like 15 minutes, my mom would be like, like, Karen, I've been at work all day. We have to go. And I'd be like, this is... You it. wanted this. We can't... I can't shop this way. I can't find my Pat Benatar Love is a Battlefield outfit that's this way. Right. And that's why you hate shopping today. It is. I'm... Tr- I was truly scarred. I'll go Re- with- I was reverse scarred from you. Um, I'll go with point. you shopping. I'm really good at... This is going to look great on you. Like, no, it's not. And you try it on. And you're like, oh, you're right. Okay. Can we make that plan in three months? Sure. Okay, great. What's going to happen in three months? I, I, just personal stuff. <laughs> you'll stop. You'll stop. You're, you're stopping your compulsion of ripping clothes to shreds in, in and clothing stores. Whoever's in the dressing room with me, just to slap out. She likes to bring a pair of scissors to clothing stores and just absolutely shredding everything around her. And she doesn't want me to know about it. If I try something on and it has like a weird bump or the buttons don't close, I'll just cut it up with large scissors. <laughs> 
So it would be great if you could come with me and help me. I'd love to. Okay, awesome. I'd love to. Um, corrections corner. Corrections corner, please. Just real quick. Remember how I kept yelling about, call, just call 911. Just call 911. Oh, yeah. All these, like, people, all of these, probably one person who works at 911, you know. Yes. Emergency services was like, can you please tell everyone not to call 911 for non-emergency <laughs> things and instead to find their non-emergency police number? Actually, that's... Not only is that a great point, program. I your, have it. Yeah. Is that what you were going to say? Yes. Go ahead. Sorry. No, please. Program your, ni- your non-emergency emergency police station phone number into your phone. That's right. Says police. So you can hit it as fast as 911. Mm-hmm. But, but you, you're not clogging up. Fuck. Have you ever called 911? No. <gasps> Wait. No. Yes, I did. When the gap, when the gap that I worked at in San Francisco and Market Street got robbed. <gasps> I had to call 911. I couldn't tell them what streets we were on. <laughs> I couldn't give them a specific address. And basically what these guys did was just really fast shoplifting and they pushed our security guard over as they left. Aww. So it was so like grab and go kind of a thing. It was a grab and go that it doesn't, I don't think really count as a robbery in a major metropolitan city. Mm-hmm. So they were kind of like, yeah, I guess call us back if, you know, like call us back. If you remember if they had a knife or something. Exactly. It wasn't really an emer- a true emergency. Okay. All right. Uh, what about you? I've called on like car accidents. Oh, and maybe a couple. You know, a, gr- a girl I lived with. <laughs> this is not funny. I don't know why I'm <laughs> laughing. <laughs> I lived with like five girls one time when I was like 20, and one of them locked herself in the bathroom and proceeded to have a seizure. <gasps> oh no! I'm like, yeah, it was. <laughs> it's not funny. Why am I laughing? <laughs> It's pretty crazy. Maybe it stresses you out to tell me, a person who has seizures, yeah. about that story. Yeah, or maybe I'm traumatized from it. But everything but you, was fine. But you didn't see it? She was fine. It was bad? Uh, no. Was there a bloody mess? No, 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 no. She was fine. My thing is I'm always afraid. Yeah, you can't... If you're... That's a thing that happens she, like... She was embarrassed and wanted to hide it. And exactly. all tell. And yeah. had to like kick the door down. And so she's like, can I please privately slam my head against the tile? <laughs> yeah. I don't want to seem ugly in front of my friends. Um... That also happens when people are choking. People always, mm. if they start choking, they get up from the table and go to the bathroom. Shut up. Which you should not do. If you're choking, yeah. stay around people so someone can give you the Heimlich maneuver. Oh, I'm so scared of choking. Have you ever yeah. eaten something alone and then you're like, the way I just laughed when I was chewing, that should have, I should have choked on that and died. No? Uh, I don't think a lot when I'm eating alone. <laughs> it's a blur. Uh, there's a lot of noises. And... Speaking of being alone, this is my other thing I wanted to tell you. Okay. Uh, okay, here's, this is what's wrong with me, and I feel like this is a safe space. Everyone listening has been there. I was, I'm listening again to the audiobook of I'll Be Gone in the Dark yep. by Michelle McNamara, because I can't fucking get enough of it. Yep. And I'm listening to it as I fall asleep at night. Dude. Yeah, I know. <laughs> as I don't fall asleep at night, I should say. <laughs> so, like, last week, I'm trying to fall asleep listening to it. Which is like the the woman's voice who reads it's like really kind of it's really soothing and monotone, but the writing is so deep and you're like in it and I can imagine everything. And so I'm like imagining someone breaking in and how they would do it, which is really I don't want to challenge anyone, but it's kind of fucking hard in this apartment. Yeah. Right. No. And I'm laying next to Vince who's sleeping. And then I remember that he's leaving the next day for four fucking nights uh-huh. and I'm going to be alone doing this. Oh, So the next day I texted my dad and I, a 37 year old woman, had my daddy fucking stay at my house while my husband was out of town. <gasps> Did I was you so scared? Really? <laughs> yes. That's incredible. Well, that's a testament to how I amazing know. that book is written. But you know what's really funny and yeah. you'll feel less alone? My sister's best friend, Adrian, who's 
like my sister, yeah. um, who is the, who has been a listener since episode one. And then I think I found out she was a murderino. Like we both were like, wait, what? And we've known each other yeah. for 20, She's or, awesome. well now 40 years. Good God. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but, uh, she called me specifically to say, I'm halfway through. I'll be gone in the dark. And I am freaking out. She goes, Karen, I have read every true crime book there yeah. is. She goes, I've never given a single shit. No, nope. I have, I've plowed through all of Anne Rule. I've done it all. She goes, I don't understand what's happening. I'm laying awake at night. I am scared shitless. I can't stop thinking about how fucked up this guy was. She's like, do you think he's still alive? Like we were having this conversation where I've never, she's the, the coolest, most. Well, she's in fucking, she's in Northern California too. That's See, right. That would scare the shit out of me. But she's part. down here if he's alive. You think so? Yes. Yes, for sure. Why? Because that's the last place he killed. I keep going through my head being like, Go go through your head of jobs and what what would he be that would make sense of why he was in those specific cities. So I right. keep going through jobs and I keep going through like maybe he was a teacher, maybe he was a you know a teaching assistant, maybe he was a pilot because there was an air force base in Irvine when right. I was a kid, like which comes up in the book. And because there was also one right where like I think in Carmichael, right or Lolita too. There was like yeah. uh, for read the book. My God, so listen to it. I think. I feel like everybody has. Yeah, we're all, we're all done. Steven just turned his notebook over and I thought he was holding up like a cue card. That's called Will Be Gone in the Dark. He's like, you got the fucking name wrong. You assholes. You are so stupid. Uh, yeah. What if it just said they caught him? They caught him. Guys, it's happening right now. Georgia, it was your dad. Georgia, (laughs) you invited him into your house. Ah! No, but it is such a good book. It's like, and what I said to Adrian is because she is so good at boiling it down, there's no extra writing yeah, yeah. and all, but also it's not sparse. It's just the most concentrated boiled down. Here's how it happened. Mm-hmm. Here's this experience for people. Mm-hmm. And it's all that stuff, which I feel like part of this true crime wave that's just happening to everybody right now is because this is my personal theory mm-hmm. because it's all about the monsters hiding in plain view mm-hmm. as like the wolves in sheep's clothing. I'm obsessed with that thing where we are now starting to see our government crack apart. Like we, people who claim to be on one side claim to be on the other, but in truth, they're bought by somebody yeah. and you don't even understand. They how, have no fucking, they're no moral compass. None. Just sociopaths at large yeah. that where everyone's going, Oh no, this, it can't be this way. Yeah. Like, and that's not even, that is not partisan. That's like, like, I feel like there's a different level of something happening where people are starting to culturally, publicly acknowledge that we have people, men and women in our society that are true monsters that do not seem like anything at all. Yeah. They speak in low tones. They look very pretty or attractive. They say the right things. Yep. They make you feel great. Nothing about it. It's that Anne Rule Ted Buddy thing. Totally. You cannot see them coming. And it's the scariest fucking thing in the world. Well, it's the same thing with Anne Rule that Michelle McNamara has where it's like, well, she's one of us. Like, I just like, I want to, when I finish listening to it, I want to go have coffee with her and talk about it. She's just so, she's herself is so, and you can tell how, like the book, she describes how obsessed she is. And I totally fucking get it. We totally get it. Remember in the book when she talks about getting that big, crazy amount of files Mm -hmm. that they kind of like snuck out of the building? 
one of my last conversations with her, she told me about <gasps> getting the mother load. It was at a patent show I was on. She was in the dressing room <sighs> and she was like, we just got this thing. And I, like, I just remember it was a very brief conversation. I, and also, I want to say this. It's not like she, we, she and I were best friends. Yeah. I don't want to try to per- portray that as yeah. we had some amazing relationship. I just knew her. Yeah. We had this conversation. I just remember her like total excitement. But also it was this thing of like, w- like now we have we have 30 times more information yeah. like and now now we're really going to start to get into something it's so fucking nutso and when i was listening there's a three-part um podcast called i'll be gone in the dark that talks about how the book was made by everyone kind of key players in it it's really good and i and for a moment i was like i know he doesn't know me but i wonder if Patton kept those boxes and if i could have one of them <laughs> just one yeah. i just want one yeah i wonder if like billy jensen has them or 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 um the kid one of the researchers he's the best he's <laughs> the researcher we called the kid he's the best yeah okay anyway what else do you have um oh this is very important uh we found this out from um you people and steven? on twitter no <laughs> steven and i have started a band <laughs> Um, small foreign fashion. <laughs> yes. Um, no, this was got, this got sent to us as a story, uh, I believe today okay. on Twitter. I haven't seen it. Um, and it's so amazing. So of course, uh, on the minisodes, we've read a bunch of stories about people finding things in walls. That's been a whole conversation, um, that we've been having. Then there was that story that came through that's incredibly tragic of a woman who fell into her wall mm-hmm. and then her body was discovered years later. Poor that baby, that story came through. A lot of people sent it to us. We didn't really talk about it because it's just pure tragedy totally. and it's such a suffocating, terrible feeling. Literally. Um, but then this one came through today. Okay. Uh, the headline of this story. Oh no. Monk, uh, mystery monkey mummy surfaces in Dayton's demolition. No. Yep. Who wrote that fucking, what is it called? Uh, alliteration? No. Yeah. But also, what do they call them? The headline? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's not what I meant. But then you said, I'm like, yeah, that's what it's called. Okay. Let me read this to you. Okay. okay, okay. So this, this happened in Minnesota. Okay. Minnesotans long knew Dayton's as a store with just about everything. And it's proving even more so. Oh, <laughs> oh no. no. Tim Nelson wrote this, by the way. So, Tim, Hi, Tim, you're just doing a great job. We're only two sentences in. Um, it's proving even more so. As crews demolished the interior of the iconic downtown Minneapolis store for redevelopment, the latest, a dead monkey. What? Uh, quote, we don't know a lot about this monkey, <laughs> but I can't say that there was a monkey found during renovation. What? We continue to find a lot of pieces of history like this in the Dayton's project as we redevelop the building. What's historical about a monkey? <laughs> uh, Unfortunately, this was one of the recent discoveries. Um, Cruz had previously discovered a wallet long ago stolen from an employee in 1969 Ooh. and found during demolition of a wall. Oh, that's fun. A demolition worker submitted a photo of the dead monkey to the Facebook group Old Minneapolis. So go join that. <laughs> so a bunch of like old women, old ladies who were like, oh, it's on old, old Minneapolis. <laughs> they're trying to, uh, they're trying to enter stuff on Facebook. Like, how does this work? Um, that was a robot grandma. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I don't know why I said it like that. And longtime customers' employees respond with tales of pet shop on the store's eighth floor and a monkey that went <gasps> missing in the 60s. Can you imagine how depressing a 1960s fucking pet shop on the eighth floor of a department store it was? The cra- Imagine you're in a department no. store, like Mervyn style, yeah. but it's the 60s and they're like, oh, you can buy a monkey there too. Yeah. Do you need a bra? Do you need some plates? No, it's happy. It loves department stores. It loves it loves a cage. It just loves <laughs> two feet of room. Um, 
We really don't know the story or the origin behind this find. Um, there are a lot of ideas and theories right now, but none that we can say we understand to be true. I bet, I bet they're funny. <laughs> oh, wait. Interestingly, Robbinsdale Mayor Reagan Murphy says he may know the riddle of the monkey. Ooh. My dad once stole a monkey from a Dayton's display back in the 60s. What? They decided to bring it back after it shat all over my dad's friend's bedroom while they were at school. It says the word shat in this newspaper article. Explain my face right now. <laughs> Georgia's baffled. Horrified confusion, I would call it. Yeah, that's right. You just don't know what's going on. Um, they returned it by letting it loose in the store. <gasps> that is probably... This is probably that monkey. He just outed his dad so hard. It's hilarious. And now they're having a huge influx of leasing inquiries. <laughs> Congratulations, everybody, at the Dayton's renovation. <laughs> That's the best fucking story of all I time. I am baffled, and I love it. I wonder if someone, if it's shadow all over that room, they released it in the store. The manager gets there the next morning. It's shadow all over the store. He takes the monkey, strangles it with his own hands, <gasps> and sticks it in the wall. I don't think that... Can a man... Overpower a monkey? No. Scratch his fucking eyes out. Monkeys are 10 times more powerful than people. Second question. (laughs) Why is he in a display? Don't put live animals in a display and a fucking pet store on the sixth floor, everyone. Yeah, but remember when like Melanie Griffith's mother, Tippi Hedren, had her own tiger? Yep. There was weird shit going on in like the 60s and 70s of people and like exotic pets that couldn't actually be controlled. For sure. Goodbye, everybody. Let's go think about We're going to go look it up. See you later. (laughs) Don't laugh into your coffee mug. Don't laugh into your KCRW coffee mug. (laughs) (laughs) Now it's a horse. Click, clock, click, clock. Karen turned into a demon horse. Click, clock, click, clock. Listen, I uh, look look and listen. I put some extra oxygen in the air for us tonight. (sighs) So we get a little wacky. Um, Hi, everybody. Who goes first tonight, Steven? On this lovely, ev- hot evening. Steve? Shit, I don't know either, Stephen. I think I went first last time, didn't I? Yeah, well, but... The, last week was... Um, Skylight. All, Skylight Books All Be Gone in the Dark event. Well, I had to talk first. <laughs> you talked the most. I was like, <laughs> I am not joining in. 100% no. That that kind of sucked because Pat and I have known each other since we were 23. Jesus. So, And you're yeah. what now, 30? <laughs> yep. Can you tell by my extremely large neck... <laughs> That I'm only in my early 30s. Yeah. So I was letting you guys do it. I mean, plus I was sitting there with the two, between the two of you. And I'm like, I, I'm not going to, I used to go watch you guys fucking perform when I was 20 <laughs> at Largo on Fairfax and just be like, Oh my God. Like, I'm not going to add anything to this conversation as if we'd let you. I mean, if anyone's ever hung out with comics, you know that it is like an elbow throwing verbal uh-huh, jest. And, it's not wor- my whatever I have to say is not worth that skinny little elbow of mine. <laughs> so wait, so either we can do who who wants to go first, or we can rem- try to remember who went first the week before. What would you rather do? Um, do you wh- want? What would you rather do? I don't care. I honestly don't care. I want to go first. Do it. Can I? Yeah, of course. Just because. Yeah. Look. Listen. I had a can and a half of sparkling wine, so I can <laughs> tell a story still. Yes. All right. Okay. Karen. Can and a half of sparkling wine. <laughs> Classy as fuck. As fuck. That's whom I am. <clears throat> Congratulations. Congratulations to you because I have to tell you something. Okay. You were right about something. Oh, f- you know what? Can we just sit in that for I know. one second? I knew you'd want to. It doesn't happen that often. <laughs> <laughs> just hearing the words. Oh, okay, thanks. Karen, you were 100% right. Woo. The Alienist is a good show. <laughs> yes. 
You were right. Mm-hmm. It's fucking great. I have two episodes left. I can't wait. But I love it. I mean, That's what I watched while Vince was out of town. So good, right? It's so good. Because it's giving you enough of your true crime or your crime. Yeah. That wasn't true, I don't think. Maybe based on true. But but also there's like the visuals of that show. It's gorgeous. And fucking fanning Dakota. She's nailing it. Nailing it. Do you think she puts drops in her eyes to make her pupils be cartoonishly large like that? I wonder if it's the lighting guy. Maybe. L- lighting human. It doesn't have to be a guy. That's right. <laughs> well, it is based on true shit. <gasps> because here's how I know. They went and did something and I was like, what is that thing they're talking about? Looked it up. This is the story of the Boston boy fiend, Jesse Pomeroy. Holy fuck. Yeah, I'm going there. What's wrong? I didn't do this guy? I didn't. Did you? I looked it up and you did the smiley face. No, no, no. Tell it into the... Okay, so Karen and I... <laughs> hold on. Steven tried to go off mic with this. Because he's like, I don't want to... I don't want to fucking throw... Because so, see, Karen and I both today apparently had to text Steven to go, did we do, did this, we do this murder already? already? Let's hear it. Well, no, I... It doesn't matter anyway. I know because, it doesn't. Yeah. Well, the visuals I sent, because I think you originally wanted to do this, and then you didn't. Because it's, the, the it's horrible. Because it's horrible. And the final visuals were the uh, giggler and the smiley face killer. <laughs> and, the, and it doesn't matter, too, because the episode we posted from Boston isn't this one. Right. So it's, it's only to those people in Boston in the audience who are turning this off right now. Okay, great. But they wouldn't, because now it's your turn now to tell my the story. Turn. This is almost like a... What is it? The, the Twilight Zone. Movie. <laughs> no. Wait, so you, at the show you did do the... Do you think you did this? You did the smiley I, face. All I right? know... No, 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 no. I mean, anything's possible, you guys. I, I All you... I know is I know the Jesse Palmore picture where he's got one yeah, goosey eye. Yeah, I think you eye, did it. But I could have just looked at it. I do that kind of thing where I'm like, look at that weird illustration yeah. of a bad boy killer in the end. So. I remember. But I was so deep into this by then. It was five o'clock. I want to hear it all. Okay. I want to hear you tell it to me. Because I, like, here's, it, I don't remember it, so. Perfect, because I don't either, <laughs> except for the eye. Okay, go. Except for the eye. You know this, this photo, this draw. not, it's not a photo. It's a drawing of a boy who's got like a milky weird eye. It's like a, you know, looks 12 or 13 in the photo. Okay. This is what we're talking about. Yep. Um, this is Jesse Harding Pomeroy. He was born into a lower middle class family in one of the worst slums of South Boston at the time in the late 1800s. Charlestown. Had to look it up. So I didn't say Charleston. Oh. Charlestown. <laughs> Good one. Massachusetts. It's the oldest neighborhood in Boston. Oh. So Jesse is born in November, on November 29th, 1859. Let's fucking go back there. That's all the way back. That's way far back. Uh, he's the second of two children. His dad, Thomas, is a fucking asshole and a veteran of the Civil War. Drinks, has a horrible temper. He beats Jesse with a horse whip Oof. or a leather belt all the time, often making him strip completely before he beats him. That's not good. Can I just say this, though? Yeah. I heard that the Civil War was pretty bad. Yeah. So. It fucks your brain up. He, he, if he was a survivor, like it served, was a veteran, fucking got through it. Saw some shit. He saw some deep, dark, doctor sawing people's legs off style shit. Okay. Saw some shit and beating your kid wasn't like crazy back in the day. Beating your kid in 1859 was a form of self-expression. Yeah. If you didn't do it, you were being soft on them. Yeah, that's right. Right. Ruth Ann Snowman was his mother. She was a seamstress. She adored Jesse. And throughout all of this shit going on, she never fucking wavered on her thinking on on, um, defending him. Oh, but come on. Okay. Lady. Well, uh, sometimes denial is helpful. That's true. Okay. 
so he had been a sick baby, left him kind of, there's all these different accounts of what, okay, here's what I'm going to tell you I found that the most times about what was wrong with him. Okay. Because there's so many accounts. It said that, it, that he was sick as a baby, which left him scrawny and frail. But it also said that he had a large body, oversized body, huge fucking head. His dome was like banana size, like so <laughs> large. His had some large, like weird features. I just watched the Andre, uh, the giant documentary last night. So I'm like picturing his hand holding a fucking a fucking beer bottle when it can. looks like a Barbie toy yeah. in a big hand bless his heart how, how sad would it be if you had a huge body but you were still scrawny yeah that sucks maybe that maybe his head was normal size and his body was scrawny so it looked like he had a giant head maybe he was a gray alien <laughs> anyway maybe he was a psychopath <laughs> um scrawny and fail it's reported that quote many people according to some accounts including his father it said uh could barely look at him without a shudder because his right eye uh maybe due to illness or a reaction to a smallpox vaccine one thing says about uh an accident we it's just hard to tell Ooh. i'm sure a historian's yelling at me right now <laughs> he had a thick white film covering his pupil so he had one white milky like marble eye got it uh might have had a cleft palate he was i just want to say really quick that just made me think of jimmy pardo and his smile train you know jimmy pardo on never not funny podcast Uh he does all this like every year he does the podcast-a-thon and he raises all this money for smile train and smile train goes out and gives anybody that can't afford the surgery to fix it they go fix them that's the most gorgeous thing i've ever heard in my life it's very very cool it's very sweet. Okay, sorry. I just wanted to say that. No, fucking positive thing. Can you just every couple, every page add in a fucking po- a positive thing, please? Because <laughs> this is that? a really depressing it's, story. This is a bad one. Yeah, but I'm okay. doing it. Okay, do it. Um, so everyone said that there was something wrong with Jesse, that he wasn't quite, quite right. Uh, he got bullied and teased a lot at school. A neighbor said that at five years old... And here's where I lose all fucking sympathy. Jesse stabbed a cat and threw it in the river. Oh, goodbye. If he had a bad eye and a cleft palate, he had a shitty time at school. It's in South Every single Boston, goddamn day. Yeah. I agree. You're right. Yeah. Every day in South fucking Boston, he got teased mercilessly. Shitty. Yes. This was back when bullying was... Uh, Again, like beating your children. Celebrated. Celebrated. Yeah. This isn't the way it is now yeah um so and pets also disappeared from their home all the time that's Uh, a bad sign mm -hmm. he was a loner he never played or really spoke with other children in the neighborhood maybe because they fucking bullied him maybe because they were assholes yeah he preferred to spend his time alone reading dime novels his favorite was a series based on a man named simon gertie he was a renegade white dude amongst the shawnee indians and he let they all went on a front on frontier settler massacres in the 1780s and they made a fucking like serial dime store novels about this wow yeah he was on native american side yeah. Wow. And like massacred. Shit. Yeah. Which is like something they talk about in The Alienist. That's exactly right. Oh, it's so creepy. Oh, so they took pieces. They must have. Awesome. Off of this. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Okay. Um, and the stories are full of blood and sex and gore and wars and battle and crazy shit. And this kid is, little kid is reading this stuff. Mm. So it's like video games now. Like, did it do it or did it not? We don't know. Or, or uh, us with Stephen King. I mean, oh, right. I read Stephen King way too young. Yeah. 
Yeah, but that wasn't real. It was like campy and kind of. There was someone that told me that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shit, Karen. Wait, so you. You didn't know cars I, can't talk? I've been trying to light shit on fire with my eyes for years. I know. That's why you get headaches. My dad actually used to say that when I would get mad. He'd go, don't give me those fire starter eyes. Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So Jesse's first reported attack took place in the Boston suburb of Chelsea, which was across the river from where they lived. He goes over to Chelsea. Um, Jesse had just turned 12 years old. Oof. He's a fucking baby. He's a baby. It's around Christmas time of 1871, and Jesse somehow entices a small boy named Billy Payne to come with him to a remote area. And as soon as they're alone, and don't worry, I don't get too detailed. Okay. Uh, Jesse forces the child to take off all his clothes, just like his fucking dad does, and then he ties him up and takes a rope and flogs the child. Um, the kid, once he's... Uh, and then Jesse leaves. Once the kid is found, he's too traumatized to give police a good description of who attacked him. God. I think just said he was a, a teenager or something like that because he also looked, he was tall and looked old for his age. Two months later, and this is like, this is so crazy because it's such a quick succession of attacks. Yeah. Two months later in February of 1872, Jesse led seven year old Tracy Hayden to the same area, promising that they were going to, quote, see the soldiers because that's where they were fought. Uh, he repeated his first assault on, uh, Tracy as well as on his next victim in May of 1872, eight year old Robert Mayer, who he lured away by promising him a trip to see the circus. Uh. In this attack, the boy said that his, assa- that the assailant, who he couldn't describe, sexually pleasured himself while inflicting his beating. Ugh. And he achieved sexual satisfaction at the height of the boy's suffering. God, he's so young he's to be doing so, that. Something is going on at Some, home yes. or other places. Some bad, bad stuff. Like, to, to, uh, I feel like it takes years for people to equate pain and sex. Right. You know what I mean? Like, it happens when kids are older in their teens and 20s because it takes so fucking long to get to that place where your brain is like, these are the things that turn me on and Except make me Except for if your dad is stripping you and beating you. Well, it's that your dad is stripping you and beating you so often that it happened by the time he was 12. Yeah. So I'm not telling myself something was going on his entire fucking life to get him there. Yeah. It's so dark. I know. Okay. And I'm doing it. It does look like Stephen keeps holding up a fucking <laughs> no, a fucking cue card for us. It literally looks like in the corner of our, it looks like Stephen's like 30 seconds, yeah. 30 seconds to commercial. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's because this, I upgraded my notebook to be a lot bigger. Oh, oh, so it Sorry, looks like, like, well, let's start, write some messages on there. No, yeah. that's fine. Tell me anything. <laughs> um, just write, you're doing great, Georgia. <laughs> no one is horrified by this. No one thinks, sh- no one's going to stop listening to this podcast because of this. Yeah, story. this is actually what people listen for. Oh, great. Okay, great. Not great. However, uh, bah, 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 bah. okay, so then he took off, left the boy alive. So, keeping with his 60 to 90 day cycle, Jesse then, uh, in mid-July of 1872, lures seven-year-old Johnny Balk to the outhouse on the Powderhorn Hill in Boston, excuse me, uh, 
with this uh, promise of two bits for running an errand. He's like, come on over here. Two bits. Two bits. Don't know how much that is. The assault was similar to the previous ones. The boy was stripped, bound, whipped, and beaten until Jesse achieved orgasm. Then he said he'd kill the boy if he ever told anyone and he got the fuck out of there. The public starts going bananas. They flip out. Um, they start calling him the mysterious boy fiend. The police are under pressure to capture him, but they didn't have uh, very much of a description to go on other than the attacker was a teenage boy with brown hair. That's all they fucking had. Wow. Yeah. So like all the teenage boys got rounded up and they were like parading them in front of the victims and they couldn't identify any of them. The city of Chelsea offers a thousand dollar reward and the police uh, launch an investigation. Da, 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 da. Okay. The attacks stop at this point, just for a little while, in late July, possibly due to turmoil in the Pomeroy house when Jesse's father takes off and leaves Ruth to provide for herself and her sons. There's, like, not information about why he left or what, but kind of good riddance. Yeah, right? for real. Um, but it could also be... So, so they end up moving, and that could be because the dad left, but it could also be because there was a description of the, quote, boy torturer in the paper, and she possibly read it, recognized it as her son, and was like, eat, we're getting the fuck we're out, getting of out of town. this neighborhood. And this was long ago, long ago enough that if your description got put in the paper and you left town and just moved, like, a neighborhood yeah. over, no one would find you. And no one knew you. Yes. At the next neighborhood. Yeah. Totally. Um, it's not like, what's that app we have where we can talk to our neighbors about weird shit in the oh, neighborhood? Fucking next door. Do you love it? Uh, my neighborhood, it's filled with paranoid lunatic retirees <laughs> who are like, who's stealing the oranges off my tree? It's insanity. I read it. I read, laugh and delete them every single day. Well, this wasn't happening. Okay. Then. She, okay, so uh, Ruth rents a small storefront in South Boston for her dressmaking shop. She opens a dressmaking shop. In August of 1872, the, the three of them, the mom and sons, move to a flat across the street from the shop. Um, and the boys help out in the shop. And the move coincides almost exactly with the end of the Chelsea attacks and the beginning of the South Boston attacks. Ugh. So... Yeah. And this is where Marky Mark comes into this story. That's right. <laughs> do a fucking, I dare you to do an accent right now. And then the good <laughs> That's all I can do. That was the best anyone's ever done. I don't understand the Boston accent. I can't do it. And I can't hear it in my head. I don't get I it. I had it when I was trying to get Charlestown. But it's gone, and I won't try it. Okay. On August 17th, 1872, seven-year-old George Pratt was wandering around South Boston shoreline looking for treasure treasure a little boy looking for treasure oh sorry no. i ruined that word for you that's okay when he was approached by an older boy who offered him 25 cents to help him run an errand jesse binds and tortures the boy and this time it so it starts to escalate at this point okay um he bites chunks of flesh from the boy's body and also stabs him with the needles fuck i know and this kid's 12 Who's doing this? Less than a month later, Jesse kidnaps and assaults six-year-old, a six-year-old boy named Harry Austin, stripped and beaten like his previous victims. But this time, it escalates. He takes out his pocket knife and stabs the child um, under each arm. I guess it wasn't, but wasn't a deep uh, stab. And he tr he goes to try to castrate the boy, but gets that someone comes by just at that moment and he runs off. Good God, thank God. I know, right? 
then six days after this. So six, like this is a fucking fiend. This yeah. person is mad. He's a sexual psychopath. That's right. At 12 doing these things. Oh, horrible. Six days after Austin was attacked, Jesse lures Joseph Kennedy, who was seven, into the marshes near the bay and viciously beats him like Austin attacked with a knife. And Jesse forces the boy to kneel and recite the Lord's Prayer, but with obscenities, which is such a childish, weird thing to do. You know, what's funny is in the when you first started talking about this, I was like, I wonder if this guy's Catholic, this boy's Catholic. <laughs> I wonder, like, maybe something was going on at, in his home, like not just with his dad, obviously, but in his school or at yep. church. <clears throat> Some creepy priest somewhere Some, in the, along the line. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, as much as people want to think like you're born this way, you're born evil. It's not a thing. I mean, if he's a sociopath, <clears throat> he wouldn't care if he's hurting people, but it does. If yeah, you don't become a sociopath, you don't, you're not born a sociopath. You become a sociopath. No, I think you're born a sociopath. Is it nature or nurture? Let's decide right now. Let's debate it. Let's, let's debate it. <laughs> Woo! Let us know what you guys think, <laughs> please. In the, in a forum on the My Favorite Murder fan cult. <laughs> let's, let's all scream at each other about nature versus nurture. Constantly cross promoting and selling. That's right. Also, real quick, I have, uh, I, you can buy detergent from Amway <laughs> from me if you just DM me. I'll sell you some detergent. Great. Great. Um, boop, 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 boop. Good lead. Okay. Six. Okay. Six days later. Like the fact that he thought that reciting the Lord's Prayer, but with obscenities was like part of the torture shows what a child he was and how, and how, uh, how off his understanding of, I don't know. I just, that's, oh, I, that's I have to say to me when you just said that fact, it kind of made my heart race a little bit. Oh, cause it's like, you're going to get like, you can't the, fucking say the boy during the Lord's prayer. The boy refused to do it. Yes. Yeah. That's very like, that's, that's so taboo. It's, it's like a consecrated, that's not the right word, but it's a holy thing. It's like, you're talking to God. So it's like you're saying, fuck you, God. Oh no. Which is not allowed in 1860, whatever. Can you, um, can you uh, sample that track of Karen saying fuck you God and just put a fucking hard techno beat and then send it send it to her school that she went to her Catholic school God she went to vibrations. fuck you God oh my god <laughs> that would be amazing no. this is not funny okay no it's not six days later five year old it's Rob actually stressing me out I'm sorry are no, you no 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 okay? I mean cause it's just it's bad it's bad I know no no go ahead okay stressing in a good way <laughs> Six days later, five year old, a five year old boy named Robert Gould was found lashed to a post near railroad tracks in South Boston and told, and he told about an older boy who lured him to the remote area with a promise to see soldiers. And then when they were alone, the boy stripped him and beat him and, um, slashed him. And this kid, Robert, was finally able to give the police their first good lead in the case after okay. all these victims. He described his attacker as a large boy with an eye like a white marble. Oh, okay. I, I wonder why none of these other boys, he must have hid it from them somehow. I think they were really traumatized, too. Yeah, I guess that's I true. I don't think they could talk about it, Ugh. maybe. Yeah. Who knows? So horrible. The Boston police... Okay, so then uh, they're like, great. 
They fucking conduct a classroom by classroom search of the Boston school system. They even go to Jesse's fucking school, but somehow they didn't see him. And then for an unknown reason, maybe guilt, maybe toying with them. Who the fuck knows? Maybe he was 12 and didn't have, wasn't thinking the way we think. In fact, on his way home from school that day, Jesse walks into the South Boston police station where detectives are sitting and questioning uh, the victim, Joe Kennedy. He's Joe spots Jesse from across the room. And in the meantime, Jesse's like, for some reason, like bad idea. And is like fucking crab walking out of there. Yeah. But fucking <laughs> Joe Kennedy is like, that's fucking him and starts yelling at that. That's him. And so the police grab him. Okay. A few other victims were able to identify Jesse as their attacker, including one from the Chelsea neighborhood who exclaimed, that's the boy who cut me. Shit. Later that night during questioning, he confesses to all the crimes and he's, but he later recants all of that, but he is arrested and due to his age, he's sentenced to the state reform school at Westboro for the term of his minority, six years. Oh. So he's 12 years old and they're like, you did all this horrible stuff. You're going to reformatory school. Okay. That's it. The end. No. Unfortunately. Do you want it to be? We no, 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 be. no, 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 no. Jesse is a star inmate. He applies himself to his studies, but of course he's bullied by the other children. And his mother is like, hell fucking no, he didn't do it. And she hardcore petitions for his parole. And it's confirmed before he even spent two years there. <gasps> so Jesse, he's now 13, is quietly paroled into his mother's custody on February 6th, 1874. Uh, these pieces of the story are coming back to me like the thing of the in the police station where i'm like i think i did do this at a live show i think you did but my brain is such that it's also a very new experience where i'm like <laughs> he did not get parole did you do it at, in an, at new york in new york i don't fucking know <laughs> Who cares? Let's just talk. <laughs> I know. Let's just talk. That's what our podcast is called <laughs> That's now. That's what it's about. Let's just talk. We love talking. Um, okay. So he's paroled. And then in April, on April 22nd, 1874. All right. This, this gets bummer. Okay. So I mean, not that it hasn't been. Two boys playing in the marshes between South Boston and Savin, near South Boston. Say it. Savin Hill. A- spell it. S-A-V-I-N. Oh. Savin. Savin or Savin. Savin Hill. Or a third option that we could never anticipate. That's not spelled the way it sounds. <laughs> right. Or, yeah, it's it's seven. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Uh, they discover the body of a young boy lying on his back in the mud. Oh. I know. So little boys find a dead little boy? Yeah. Ugh. Police are summoned and the boys identified as Horace Millen of South Boston. He's four years old. I know. I'm sorry. His throat's been cut and his body had been, had numerous stab wounds around 33 total. Whoa. He'd also been sexually mutilated. Fucking poor little Escalation. Escalation. Yeah. Police found footprints nearby that led back to a wharf a half a mile away. And there they like follow the fucking footprints and they're like, Hey, anyone around here see anything this morning? And a bunch of witnesses recall a young teenager walking around with Horace, the boys, the two boys, the teenager and Horace, then jump from the wharf. The older boy helps this little companion down. Um, and then he takes the older boy's hand and together they walk away across the marshes towards where Her- Horace's body had been found. Awful. I know. And also very Mary Bell. Yeah, exactly. Mary Bell is like always 
mentioned in this kind of yeah in his articles yeah it's that same thing and yeah. she was she was being basically sexually tortured at totally home. there's no way he wasn't yeah i mean even just like his what his dad was doing to him it was way more than that yes not that that's an excuse this is horrible no. okay here we go all bad okay this time because of his record though the police fucking were like we know who did this they arrest Jesse at his home where they found blood on his clothes, scratches on his skin, and the sole of his boots matched the imprints left on the sand. Um, and there was also marsh mud on his boots. And so when the police confronted him and asked him if he'd done it, he replied, I suppose so. Oh. Nonplussed. I suppose so. Ugh. Um, his only request was that the police not tell his mother of his, of the latest crime. So I think his mom was like crazy, probably religious and overprotective of him. Yeah. And, you know, that made him crazy too she also i bet maybe had some guilt because the dad was so awful right there's no way to correctly parent a child i'm sorry to tell you guys (laughs) (laughs) georgia with parenting advice look i eat three cats cats. (laughs) that equals one child right yeah that's what we agreed upon one silent child that's what we agreed on um a few days later Though he takes back uh, his confession, denies any wrongdoing, etc. So he's waiting trial. He's sitting in fucking jail awaiting trial. And Ruth Pomeroy, his mommy fucking dearest, <laughs> she continues to voraciously insist Jesse's innocent. She's forced to close her, her dress shop um, a month after Jesse's arrest. And because the, the public was pissed the fuck off, probably. Of yeah. And her shop's now vacant. Hi, how are you doing? <laughs> shop's now vacant. I'm going to give you a clue. It's not a monkey that they find. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. Shop's vacant. It's rented out by the owner of a nearby grocery store. He starts renovations. Don't do that. Do it, though. In late July, a worker knocking down a wall in the cellar notices some bright fabric sticking out of a pile of ashes and rubbish. <sighs> rubbish. He reaches down and gives it a pull. And a child's skull rolls out of the, rolls out. Ugh. And the scream could be heard four blocks away. Four decades. Ay, ay. The police were summoned. They're not called. They are summoned. They're not, because there's no phones. <laughs> the police have a long letter written to them that they yeah. received two months a later. A tin can is held up <laughs> with a string. The police are like, a line of children yell down the street in, in grape, <laughs> in a, what's that called? Um, oh, telephone? Telephone no, formation. No, it's not called that, though. <laughs> yeah, when you whisper into people's ears. Yeah, but there's no such thing as a telephone, so it's not ah, called that. <laughs> Is this pre-telephone days? Isn't it? I don't know. Someone assigned a telephone person? Email us. A telephone us. scientist? We'd love to hear from <laughs> Is you. Is that a thing? Email us. <laughs> there's going to be some person. Actually, I am a telephone scientist, and you're correct. Like, it's going to be some sweet email. It's going to be not what we deserve. My name's Jan Edison, and my great grandfather was Thomas Edison. Do you want a tour of the? Because <laughs> everyone who emails us is nice. Like we don't deserve how nice everyone is to us. No one attacks us. Never. Everyone's like, we think you're great. We get what you meant, and we're we forgive your stupidity. Here's the facts <laughs> that you should be saying. Oh God, we're so lucky. Okay, um, but, but, but police know are pretty sure who the skeleton belongs to. Because earlier that year, on March 18th, just six weeks after Jesse got out of that reformatory before his first murder of Horace, mm-hmm. 
Nine-year-old Katie Curran had disappeared while running an errand in the neighborhood of the dress shop. The cops had searched the entire neighborhood, including the Pomeroy store, but stopped searching when another kid in the neighborhood told them that they'd seen uh, a girl matching Katie's description get into a buggy with a strange man. Oh. Plus, they were like, Jesse likes boys, so... Oh, right. It's, it's, a, it's not, not his MO. Right. So, but Katie's mother identifies the clothes that they found um, as Katie's and an angry cat crowd gathers around the, the block. So they take Miss Palm, Mrs. Palmer and Charles, the brother, into custody for their safety. Yeah. They end up being there for like six fucking weeks. Whoa. Because yeah. people are just like, they yeah. had it. Yeah. Yeah. That's- and they need to be witnesses in the trial, too. Um, Jesse confesses to Katie's murder. He tells the chief of police that Katie had gone. So Katie had gone out that morning to buy school, a school thing, a school supply thing. But had gone into the Pomeroy, Pomeroy store by mistake. She had asked Jesse if they had one. He was manning the counter alone. Remember how she was like, you guys got to work here. Yeah. Um, he lied and told her there was a store downstairs. And then he said that when she went downstairs, quote, I followed her, put my left arm around her neck, about her neck and my hand over her mouth. And with my knife in my right hand, I cut her throat. I then dragged her to and behind the water closet and put some stones and ashes on the body. So fucking crazy. It's so bad. And it's, it is reminding me of the alienist. Like, yeah, it's so parallel. It's well, they go and interview him. Remember in his, uh, solitary confinement to try to find the killer in this, in the show. That's right. Remember that's why I found that chain and oh my God. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Guys, watch it. Uh, but Katie's body. Had did show signs that he had done more to her than he said. There had also been um, wounds, stab wounds, and mutilation, much like the Millen kid. Mm. Later, when asked at an inquest why he'd done it, Jesse said, "I don't know. I couldn't help it. It's here," said pointing to his head. "It is here," he said while he pointed at his head. Uh, You said that twice for because I said (laughs) underline it. It's here, and that's not a quote. It is. It is here, which is so awkward. Okay. <laughs> That's how people talk back then. I know. Especially in Boston. Especially in Very Boston. Very proper. Da, 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 da. Okay. Boop, boop, boop. Okay. In December, Jesse's tried for the Millen murder, and people are like, well, how the fuck did this happen? I guess this was not a normal thing. This There had never been a boy serial killer before. He's the first fucking one yeah. in America. Um, they wanted to know why he committed such atrocities. <clears throat> Tons of experts were hired, and they all hypothesized what was wrong with him. But people also, were like, it's crows yeah. back then. No one yeah. knew what the fuck was going it's on. It's the telephone. And that person was a witch and got drowned. <laughs> That's right. There's no it's such thing. It's these gas lamps they're trying to put into right. our homes. Exactly. There's no such thing as telephones. You're yeah. a witch. <laughs> um, they ultimately, though, didn't think he was insane, just evil, and had no feelings for his victims and felt no remorse for any of his acts, which we all know that now. Come on. Um and Ruth continues to fucking be like, he's innocent. Oh, and she was Ruth. even like, uh, Katie's body was put in the cellar after she left the store by someone else to like frame her kid. She just wouldn't fucking buy it. Honey. I know, sweetie. The jury convicts Jesse on first degree murder with a recommendation of mercy because of his age. So he could have, they could have recommended death by hanging, but they were like, he's fucking 14 at this point. God. And so, but then the judge was like, nope. I sentenced him to be fucking hanged. Yep. Hanged. Uh, which, and uh, everyone freaked out and was like, you can't 
hang a child. And so eventually his sentence is commuted to life in solitary confinement. Oh, yeah, yeah. So on September 7th, 1876, just three months shy of his 17th birthday. Okay, I was wrong about the age. Just three months shy of his 17th birthday, Jesse was taken to the state prison at Charlestown, where for the next 16 years, he lived in a 10 by 8 by 8 cell built in 1805 in, uh, to house the insane. So Oof. you can't imagine it was fucking choice digs. In that, and in that TV show, it's awful. Uh-huh. It's like a dungeon, basically. Yeah, totally. And he's so fucking scary. How about that fucking actor who I didn't yeah. even think until this very moment was an actor? <gasps> Because he was so scary in who that part. Is he? Who is he? Who is he? Jesse Great Pomeroy. job, fictional Jesse Pomeroy. That's right. Okay, so he tries to escape all the time. Doesn't happen. Um, but he also becomes a voracious reader. Reads all 8,000 books in the prison library. Whoa. Which is like, you got time on your hand. Yeah, that's right. He learns French, German, Greek, Latin, all this other shit. Um, and he becomes... <laughs> what? And then he becomes Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. That's also insanely tragic. Isn't because it? Because if his fucking father right. left him alone, he could have been, in my theory, a sociopath who doesn't hurt right. people, but who was incredibly intelligent and then just kind of didn't care if he saw bad things happen. Or it's like, too, to- that you think, like, if he hadn't had these these oddities about him that kids didn't fucking mercilessly bully him about, he wouldn't have been so angry and have so much anger to get out on children that were smaller than him. You know, he they took yeah. it out on him, whatever was going on in those kids' house, he took it out on smaller children. Yeah. But the difference is like teasing and being mean is right. one thing, but what this guy did was like, he's a psychopath. Totally. Yeah. I mean, between home and school, though, he never had a moment of not being... Because no. they didn't just tease him. I'm sure they beat him up and shit. I'm not defending a fucking psych... Like, a no. serial killer. No, no, I know. But you are arguing nature versus nurture. I am never, I am doubling up on my birth control tonight because <laughs> I am never having fucking children. <laughs> Just take two extra. <laughs> yeah. It'll be fine. Um, I, I do think nature versus nurture. I think nature and nurture, but I don't think you can have, I don't think, all right. Anyways, you'll read about it in the forum. <laughs> George is going to take this online Listen. and explain it to you. Why, why explain it on a podcast when you can go no. online and explain your theory? How many semesters of psychology did I take at community college, do you suppose? Um, did you do half and then drop out? I probably took level one like three times and dropped out each time. <laughs> you heard that story of the guy that got this <clears throat> the fencing sword up his oh, nose that sure. touched his frontal <laughs> yeah. lobe. And Everyone loved that. Lo- lost his <laughs> right. long-term memory or whatever. Right. It was very fascinating. <laughs> Phineas Gage. Okay. Is that him? Yeah. <laughs> okay. And he Wait, become- Phineas Gage is the guy that had the full-on railroad tie in his head, though. Wait, what were you talking about? There's one guy that got a, a fencing sword. Oh, I don't know. This went one. up his nose, touched his frontal lobe, and then every time you walked in the door, he'd be like, hi, good to see you. And then you'd leave, and one minute later, and he'd be like, oh my god, hi, good to see you. <gasps> that must have been level two, because I don't know that guy. <laughs> Karen, you must have gone further in than me. But also... I don't think we even have to say this anymore. Could be completely wrong about that. <laughs> but we aren't. Okay. Greek, Latin, etc. Oh, and he becomes obsessed with learning about law in an attempt to get himself the fuck out of prison. 
Wow. All this shit happens, but it never works, obviously. Um, later, a commission of three psychiatrists, maybe our fucking dude from the alienist. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, and a prison physician studied him. And in 1914, after he'd spent 38 years in solitary, they found him to be sane and intelligent, but a cold, paranoid manipulator, utterly obsessed with his pardon. So... Um, the only person who visited him was his mother, who visited him every month until her death around 1915. Wow. And then in the late 1920s, Jesse was the state's oldest prisoner. Whoa. Which is like, and you can, there's photos, there's like photographs of him. He looks like just an old man. Yeah. Because he was just an old <laughs> right? man. Um, I wonder what would happen if they had let him out. He would have murdered people. He would immediately go kill a child. He and Albert Fish would be like, what's up? For real. We're going to be roomies. I've got your needles. This is a fucking sitcom. Yeah. I've got your needles. Um, Do, do, do. Okay. Okay. In 1916, 41 years into his fucking sentence. So he's like double the time he was alive. Yeah. Or out. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> Jesse's solitary confinement is lifted. He, sp- he had spent the longest stretch in solitary confinement, second only to the Birdman of Alcatraz. Oh, that's right. He's the, yeah. The Birdman it, of Alcatraz is a good movie by the by. I should Clint, watch it again. Clint Eastwood, Alcatraz, San Francisco, birds. What, what more could you want? Listen, we're offering you so much. Look. Ask that movie. <laughs> um, okay, we're coming to an end here, guys. Calm down. In 1929. <laughs> <Age> 92. <laughs> and then he wrote books and shit too. In 19, and I'm going to read you one now. Yes. In 1929, 71-year-old Jesse Pomeroy yeah. is removed from the general population at Charlestown, taken by automobile, his first and only ever fucking automobile ride. <sighs> taken by automobile. Automobile. <laughs> yep. To an automobile. Uh, to an automatic. Uh, to auto, blah, 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 Bridgewater Prison Farm for medical care, uh, first only car ride, first time being outside the prison in about 55 fucking years. Jesus. And everyone was like, he seemed non-fucking-plussed by it. He just didn't give a shit. Didn't give a shit. Which is like, fair enough, your brain at that point has to be mush. Two years later, uh, after 58 years in prison, um, almost all of it spent in solitary confinement. Jesse Pomeroy, the boy fiend, dies at Bridgewater. He was, uh, dismissed in the press as, quote, the most friendless person in the world and, quote, a psychopath. Mm. Um, his final wishes were that his body be cremated and his ashes, that's my brother's name, and his ashes <laughs> scattered to the four winds. Wow. And that's the story of boy fiend Jesse Pomeroy. Fuck. Boston. It is. Sorry. It, that is the most nutso story. I know. I tried to do my best of not. It was great. Okay. Uh, it was fresh and new for me. <laughs> uh, I just wanted a the chance Phineas to tell Gage you. of this podcast <laughs> where it's always a new story for me. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I pull something out of my nose. Uh, I just really wanted to tell you you were right about the alienist. <laughs> I kept Half going back to that. I'm like, why are you doing this story? It's so horrible. And it's like, Karen will like the start of it. A hundred percent. I like the whole thing. But also because I feel like those are the stories. Those are the stories I like to talk about the most because A, it's long, long ago. So we don't have right. to be as sad as we normally feel. Right. Even though it's awful. 
And then there's that interest of, um, like the way things were set up. This was like probably right when like police forces began. Right. Or, it's all that kind of stuff where everyone was learning. And I'm sure no one was going to go, Oh yeah, 12 year olds killing these kids. Sure. Like no one there. I'm sure they were like, a wolf is loose in our, yeah. in Boston. I mean, I didn't get into how fucking bananas the press went over this at the time. It, yeah. yeah. It was, it was unprecedented. And I think stories like this and fucked up stories like the candy man and shit are like, important because you can't just like you have to this exists and this is what happened and we you know you have to i don't have to tell you exactly what he did to his victims but i but it's a crazy fucking story that and it's a real thing that right this is a human condition even though it's extreme and rare this is something people human beings can do yeah which people have been in denial about right which is why we're obsessed with true crime is that we can't believe that humans are capable of this. So we want to know as much as possible because we're so confounded by it. Yeah. And so you can't skip over the really, really worst ones because those happen too. I mean, you can no, if you want. People are tuning in for that shit. Nobody wants that. Everyone's like, tell me the worst, please. Well, I was just thinking like all the people who are like, I have a baby, a boy and I can't, re- I can't listen to this stuff. And I'm like, all right, well, I have two baby nephews. And I want to, I want to know about this shit. I'm fascinated. It horrifies me. I want to. We all know babies. <laughs> Quit bragging everybody. <laughs> oh, please put that on the shirt. We all know babies. Look, quit holding your baby friendships over my head. I like what I like. Enough. Oh, wow. Georgia, have you ever been blown away by the most simple dish at a restaurant? Like, perfectly scrambled eggs? Oh my God, yes, Karen. And then all I want to do is make that dish at home and eat it every day. Well, you probably could, as long as you have the chef's secret ingredient, Made In Cookware. Made In was created to bring restaurant-quality performance kitchenware to home chefs around the world. For years, they've built their business by supplying restaurants and top chefs with high-end cookware. Some of Tom Colicchio's most treasured dishes at his restaurant craft are made in Made In. Whether you're cooking for professional critics or just the critics you live with, your meals will benefit from the quality of Made In products. Like their carbon steel cookware, it combines the best of both cast iron and stainless steel clad, so it's rugged enough for grills or an open flame. It's the MVP of summer cookouts and cook-ins. What I really love about made-in cookware is that it actually makes something like having a Memorial Day barbecue much more convenient because you can keep everything on the grill if you need to throw, say, a pan of garlic up on the top while you're grilling your steaks on the bottom. It's strong enough, durable enough to do that. If you want to take your cooking to the next level, remember what so many great dishes have in common. They're all made in, made in. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from May 18th through May 27th when you visit madeincookware.com. That's M-A-D-E-I-N cookware.com. Goodbye. If you're like me, you're always looking for a story to dive into. Whether it's a family drama or a mystery to solve, the key to getting hooked is the details. I need rich visuals and intricate storylines, and June's Journey has that and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young woman, on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murder. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. 
Explore beautifully designed scenes from the 1920s, like lavish estates and gardens. And don't forget to keep an eye out for hidden clues. There are twists, turns, and catchy tunes, all leading you deeper into the thrilling storyline. And if you play well enough, you could make it to the detective club. There, you'll chat with other players and compete with or against them. June needs your help, but watch out. You never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed, but will you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Goodbye. Mine is another one of these stories, interestingly, that's so famous. I was had to contact as we said, had to contact Stephen because because I, I was like, how do we not do this yet? Yeah. And as I read it, I was like, I could hear you. I could hear your voice saying it. Yeah. So yeah. I was like this could be, I could be making a huge mistake. Uh, it's the story of Issei Sagawa, the Japanese cannibal who walks free. <gasps> do you know? I don't, and I know if I would have known if you'd done this. Get ready oh, to fucking scream on the. Night of June 11th, 1981. Uh, by the way, Stephen helped me with most of this um, research with, cr- with the chronology uh, today. Thank you, Stephen. But then I also watched uh, the beginning of an amazing documentary from Channel 4, Britain's Channel 4, a channel that makes incredible documentaries for TV. And there was a really old one that they had made about this guy. And it was called Excuse Me for Living, <gasps> which is uh, the name of one of the books he ended up writing. That's and a great name. Isn't it the best? Mm-hmm. But then you, when you f- yeah. find out what... I don't like, want him to what? own it. I know, it's so good. But... It really goes it's crazy in depth on his side of things and kind of like whatever his experience. Um, but it's really, really fascinating and really well put together and very old. It looks like you're watching footage from like the 50s. I love it. The older, the better, because then they can't like shit doesn't get like uh, clouded and facts don't get unfacted. Right. Yes. Let me hear. I don't know anything about it. OK, cool. Also, in this documentary, there's British people from what look like the 70s always a joy there's people named colin with with wiry crazy hair that's going over to one side the eyebrows yes there's a lot of oh, eyebrow God. action a lot of tweed love it highly recommend mm. um okay so on the night of june 11th 1981 uh 25 year old dutch student renee hartveld uh was studying at the sorbonne in paris um and she uh arrived at her classmate's flat thinking she was there to help him translate some German poetry for him. Never trust a German po- <laughs> poet. Uh, Major. There you go. Uh, she met the small, quiet, 32-year-old Japanese student um, in one of their uh, classes that they had together. Uh, she noticed he was isolated um, at the French University. Um, he seemed awkward. He was slightly odd. He was very small. He was four foot nine. Wow. Um, so she felt compassion. Uh, him being alone in a foreign city, mm-hmm. um, she could empathize with. So when a group of her classmates made dinner plans, she invited him along. She's a sweet baby angel. Right. They uh, had a long conversation that night on a full range of topics. Um, and overall, for everybody, it was a success. So soon after, he asked Renee for help uh, translating the German poetry that he had been struggling with. So she went over to his apartment mm. to work on it with him. Go to a public place. Well, she thought 
they'd already hung. I know, I know, but like I'm just university, saying, never. He's very small. <laughs> She's like this. He's pocket sized. There's no threat. Public here. place. <clears throat> so, the first night she goes over to help him translate his German poetry, the night ends very abruptly and oddly. Sends her a letter saying, "Sorry about everything last night." Can you please come back over tonight? I, I really need this help and it would, I would really appreciate it. Okay. So she goes back over and that's the night of June 11th. Okay. Um, so, uh, she, she feels like she gets that this guy might be uncomfortable, maybe uncomfortable around women, mm-hmm. um, or whatever. So she, she's like, it's fine. She goes back over. She sits down at his desk, um, which, leaves her with her back to the Mm, room mm. and as she is um looking over the homework that he needs help with he walks up Mm. behind her with a gun with a silencer on it and shoots her in the back of the head holy shit he immediately faints oh my god when he wakes up he has sex with her corpse (gasps) and then tries to eat her because it turned out Uh he was not a awkward um four foot nine uh he was four foot nine <laughs> oh. but he was not a tiny uh powerless awkward little man he had been planning to kill her for quite some time oh my god because he wanted to eat her what the man's name was Issei sagawa and he had a lifelong obsession with cannibalism he was born in 1949 to wealthy parents in kobe japan uh he was very premature, so premature that when his father uh, held him for the first time, he held him in the palm of his hand. Oh, God. That tiny. That's so sad. Yeah. Um, his strict but loving parents uh, had another son one year later and raised them as twins because oh, yeah. Issei was so small that he, being the older brother, looked like the younger brother. Uh, and as his brother grew up normally and fully, he was very skinny Mm -hmm. he just like he just was tiny Mm -hmm. and he was very very self-conscious of it from a very early age aren't we all so fucking self-fucking conscious everything of our bodies at all times from a very early age i'm watching uh, this documentary and i'm like it would be great to be tiny skinny and four foot nine isn't (laughs) that always the fucking we're all now at this moment in time just learning radical (laughs) self-immolation acceptance excuse me i've had two cans of fucking sparkling wine if we could just learn to to spontaneously combust ourselves into the stratosphere think of all the weight you would lose think about the universe loving you Mm -hmm. if you were just particles on fire that's right okay uh so of course so he is obsessed with the fact he repeatedly in these documentaries talks about himself being ugly being tiny and being skinny and um also oddly and they have they have home movie footage in this channel 4 documentary of his uncle used to come to their house Mm -hmm. and they would put on a play where the uncle played a man-eating giant and the Mm. two little boys would play princes that he would the giant would then grab up put into a pot and eat and cook alive and eat and so i have fucking chills really that's creepy yeah you had to see it and he in the documentary when he talks about it kind of makes this face like why why did he do that wait they're interviewing him yes dude yes okay go on it's part of how disturbing the story is is he is he basically becomes famous for being a, a, a sexual psychopath how have i never heard of this go on okay 
So, um, so he attributes that experience, but he also was, he, so he became obsessed with this idea of man-eating giants, monsters that could eat men, human beings, the idea of eating human flesh to the point where in first grade, he asked mm. his teacher, um, about the moral repercussions of eating human flesh. What? Imagine, now imagine those chills that you would get. How old is a first grader? Is seven. Okay. I'm looking at my seven-year-old nephew. Hey, hey, Auntie Georgia. What What's your stance on eating other people? If I wanted, I'd be like, <laughs> oh, my God. You would, you'd be shaking. You'd be like, <clears throat> excuse me. I'll be back in one second. Get away from me, Micah. You'd, you'd pull a Clary Starling out. <clears throat> May I use your phone, please? <laughs> oh, my God. That was that was <laughs> beautiful, Karen. Thank you. Yeah. He thought the idea, the reason he was so obsessed with it is that he thought that if he could eat other human beings, it would fill him out and make oh. him bigger, stronger, make him. He felt like he wasn't he was only half there oh, and that everybody else was fully formed. Oh, man. So he got this idea and be, it became this obsession. If he could just consume someone else, it would fill him out and make him whole. I mean, I get I think it's crazy and he's mentally ill, but I get the from first grade on having this obsession. Yeah, the logic of it. Right. Yes, for sure. The logic of the crazy I fucking get. Well, and when I've been crazy and obsessed with a specific thing in my life many yeah. fucking times. Yeah. Well, and to the point where like when you have body dysmorphia, yeah. where when you see yourself one way, you literally cannot see yourself and you any think other way. everyone sees that and obsesses on it when in, in fact, everyone's just obsessing about themselves. Exactly. But when you also have then uh, uh, some kind of a psychopathy, then your that obsession doesn't you then don't get distracted by other things. You you continue to obsess on it to the point where then you begin to fantasize about it. Oh. And so then when he moved into adolescence, sense the obsession and the fantasies it they became intertwined the sexual aspect and the cannibalism became intertwined so this together. is level three of psychology this is i am pretending to know what i'm talking about to the point where i'm starting to believe it and it feels <laughs> sounds great fucking great yeah it sounds a, great it's a true victory for me tonight <laughs> okay so <laughs> when he's 15 he actually it gets so bad he reaches out to a psychiatrist okay. and he uh, explains that he is having sexual fantasies involving murder and cannibalism. Wow. And, um, oh my God. He's also tells them that he's, it's, he, it's focused on Western. They, they keep referring to them as Western women, but right. it's basically white women, yeah. tall, blonde, kind of Marilyn Monroe type women, sure. um, that are fully curvy and curvaceous. And that's what he's seeing is that would fill me up. Okay. That would make me whole. Got it. It's also symbolic. Um, once he spills the beans, he's too scared to go back. He, so he just never goes back again. And at one point, uh, maybe a little later on, he also goes to his brother and confides in his brother that he wants to eat human flesh. And his brother's like, you fucking nut and never talks about it again. Isn't that great? Because I was going to be like, well, he's so crazy or like mentally ill. He doesn't know to go get help. But then he fucking did. Yes. Like when I am starting to obsess about a thing, I know to go to a psychologist or a psychiatrist. Right. He did that. No, he did. He actually, and he was young too, which is really hard. Yeah. It's hard when you're younger to be like, I'm going to get some a professional in, involved Probably in any of this. in the Japanese culture too. Yes. That can't be a big thing, right? I, I, I don't know, but I'm saying yes, very authoritatively. I bet someone will very nicely correct us. I, hopefully. Okay, so 
it's not until he's 23 and he's still living with the, at his parents' house um, that he finally acts on these obsessions. Mm. A young German woman moved into the neighborhood and he sees her and he's like, this is my chance. Mm-hmm. He starts obsessing on her and he, uh, he he's obsessed with biting her butt. Okay. So one night he breaks into her apartment. <gasps> he only has an umbrella in his hand. He's wearing a Frankenstein mask. <gasps> but remember, he's four foot nine. That's scary. It's horrifying. He goes into her room. She's asleep. And he's standing there trying to figure out what to do first. And his knee touches her leg and she he wakes her up. <gasps> so a tiny Frankenstein with an umbrella is standing next to her bed. She starts screaming. He freaks out. He goes to run away. She grabs him <gasps> by the hands and wrestles him to the ground and calls the cops. So the cops come. They arrest him. What the fuck? On attempted rape charges. But then... Um, Issei's father is very rich mm. and ha- has a big influential fancy job. Mm-hmm. So the father pays off this German woman, um, to drop the charges. Oy. So she takes the money and she's like, see you later, alligator. And nothing else happens Oy. except for they send him to a psychiatrist again. Okay. Um, but th- like this now, this time now the whole family knows. Yeah. He goes to the psychiatrist. The psychiatrist gets downloaded and all the shit that's going on with him. And, uh, the psychiatrist come back, comes back, um, and tells him or his parents or whatever that he is a sexual psychopath and extremely dangerous. Oh my God. They're like, thanks a million. And they do nothing. Later days. So five years later in 1977, Issei moves to Paris to pursue his PhD in comparative literature at the Sorbonne. I mean, I didn't graduate. I didn't finish community college. Uh Uh-huh. And I'm not a sexual sadist. That's both of those things are true. Yeah. Two two truths and a lie. Let's hear that lie. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's crazy. Well, also, he's clearly... Very high level yeah, yeah. intelligence. Yeah. So there's a there's so much going on. Okay. So I don't feel um, bad. Yeah. Don't feel bad at all. Okay. He's surrounded by. Be, now he's in Paris though, surrounded yeah. by the object of his the objects of his uh, sadistic, murderous fantasies. Everywhere he looks, there's these big, huge, comparatively Western women uh-huh. that he has been spending all of his young life in Japan. Th- obsessing over and thinking about and rarely seeing now he's fucking smack dab in the middle oh shit so in 1979 he basically is he's of course still thinking about it he's like he wants to do it he knows he has to it's his obsession then in 1979 the american actress jean seberg commits suicide in her car in paris and it's right near his apartment And so he sees that as a sign that now it's time to start committing. <gasps> no. Uh, uh, the basically to make his fantasy come no, true. No, it's not. Yeah. So throughout that year, he uh, started hiring sex workers to come back to his apartment, but he never had the guts to do anything mm-hmm. out of control in in any way that anybody reported or anybody right. knew about. Um, but then one day, Renee Hardfeld. Uh, walks into his classroom and he is immediately obsessed with her. He thinks she's beautiful. He starts drawing pictures of her and he begins to plan her murder, um, so that he can eat her. Oh my God. Um, so 
So we skip back to the night where he shoots her. He faints. Poor baby. When he comes to, rapes the corpse. Oh. Then he tries to tear her flesh with his teeth. Oh, my God. But it doesn't work. He can't do it. So he leaves and he goes and buys a butcher knife. What the fuck? He comes back to his apartment and over the next two days, he... Um, cuts her up and cooks some of her flesh. Oh my God. And, uh, then on the night of June 12th, like basically two days later, he takes a cab carrying two big, huge, heavy suitcases to a place called Bois de Boulogne. I think that I'm sounded that right. gorgeous. Thank you. It sounded right. Boulogne. It's a public park. Okay. In Paris that has a big lake. And his plan, it's 830 at night. His plan, he's going to take these two suitcases that have her cut up body parts in them and put them into the lake. No, honey. But he doesn't know that there's a restaurant lakeside. Oh, shit. So as he is struggling with two huge heavy suitcases trying to pull them down to the lake, all these people witness him. They're like eating their fucking chicken, Diane. (laughs) And they're like, look at their French onion soup. Tiny Japanese man. And their baguettes. That's right. And they see a tiny Japanese man struggling, struggling, struggling with two suitcases to the point where he struggles for so long to get them down into the water. He finally gives up (gasps) near the edge of the lake, lays down on a bench and goes to sleep. (gasps) When he wakes up, he sees an old man opening one of the suitcases. No. When the old man sees what's inside, he starts screaming, and Issei gets up Mm-mm. and calmly walks away. Holy shit. And disappears. How the fuck have I never heard of this banana story? Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Um, I've heard, I have heard like large, uh, what swaths yes <laughs> that's yeah it's because i was waving my hand yeah, over well, my you were like being a paintbrush i've swathed it mm-hmm. but i never knew these mm-hmm. fucking not so details yeah. so he just fucking hightails it out of there slowly which just creeps me out yeah yeah um so the they basically all those witnesses call the police mm-hmm. the police um they all say yep we saw a cab drop this guy off he tried to do this whatever they find the cab driver the cab driver is like yeah i assumed i was taking him to the train station because he had these two huge suitcases and they're like what's his address so they go to his address he's walking out as the police are walking up and he just immediately confesses to everything <gasps> So they don't, there's, he's just arrested and taken in. The fuck? But then the police have to go up into his apartment. Oh, and no. what they find up there is the grisliest, grossest scene. There's more? Yes, because, well, because he'd cut up her oh, body. No. And so there was wrapped up body parts in his refrigerator. And there's cooked body parts on plates on his kitchen table, along with a plate of peas. No. Like, it was like he had set up this whole dinner and he had, he had been like, kind of, you know, uh, eating eating for days oh my god so he is held in prison in paris but his father his rich father gets him a high-powered attorney mm-hmm. um he uh comes in front of the judge judge louis brugier i think uh accent aigu and that judge declares that anybody who would prepare in advance to kill any someone um could not be mentally sound and so he believes that Sagawa is suffering from advanced dementia huh. and he orders him to be confined indefinitely to the Henri Collant asylum for the criminally insane huh. there's no trial huh. so while he's in the asylum Japanese writer uh 
Inihiko Yamota, hopefully, <laughs> interviews him uh, about these crimes and about his life. And uh, all of the, they have a bunch of conversations, talk a bunch, and eventually they turn um, all of that into a biography about Saga- uh, Sagawa called In the Fog. And when that biography comes out in Japan, it fucking sells out nationwide. Holy shit. Um, what the fuck? But since no murder charge is ever brought against him in France, the French authorities end up deporting Sagawa back to Japan. And uh, he's sent to a place called the Matsu a Matsuzawa Hospital. Uh-huh. Um, his father's forced to resign from his high-powered job. Uh-uh. His mother attempts suicide. Oh, no. So this, of course, is yeah. horrible for the family. Sure. Um, but Issei is becoming a cult phenomenon. So when the book sells, people are fascinated and they say that they think the theory is because Western women are just a kind of a conceptualized object right. over there, he became like an anti-hero. Oh my God. So it was, it was like this thing of, it wasn't, it wasn't personal to anybody because none of these women looked like any right. of them. So it was just this kind of, um, yeah, it was just kind of the perfect objectification where people could just be fascinated yeah. by the gris, grisly hideousness of the like crime. Like it was the murder of an idea, not an actual yeah. woman whose family was mourning her. It was like, he exactly wanted right. to murder this idea. And with that, the media went Berserk. Uh-huh. And at one point, um, the, the magazine, it's a French magazine called Perry Match, and it publishes previously unseen shocking photos of her, of her, Renee's dismembered corpse. <gasps> it's such a scandal. A reporter actually gets arrested for it, and a million copies of the magazine are seized by the authorities. Oh my God. So they fucking go round that shit up. Can you find it online? No, I, d- I didn't I, look. I didn't look. At I, didn't look. I, I would I never. Away. I wouldn't look either. Yeah, I would never. Uh, look. You would. I saw the plate of peas in one of the documentaries, and I was like, I just, I'm never going to get that plate of peas out of my head <laughs> on that dinner table. Sure, that's plenty for me. Um, but it was that. It it was that kind of insane um, media frenzy yeah. that kind of was making making it popular and so well known. Well, then on August twelfth, nineteen eighty six. Um, Sagawa is set free from the mental hospital that he was sent to due to lack of evidence against him because the French authorities had right. all the evidence and they locked it up and they like, lock him up in Japan. It's not, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't. So basically he's got the, he's got the juice to get him out. Shit. His family gets him out. Three years later, um, a man in Japan abducts and kills four girls. He basically, this guy goes on a murder spree and the media goes to Sagawa and asks him to weigh in <gasps> on the killer. And from there, he becomes, no. he st- starts to become a, a, like a media celebrity. He starts becoming a columnist for newspapers. The- he writes after in the fog, which was his first book. He writes 18 more books about himself, cannibalism, his murder. Uh, all of it. He, you got to be a psychopath if you can write 18 fucking books. Yeah, for real. And I'm not like joking about writing books. Like that's crazy. No, the, and also all about himself. Yeah. So like, so crazy, crazy self-obsession. Oh. Um, he also appears on television shows and begins to work the lecture circuit. No. Yeah. Um, eventually, and this is the part where, uh, 
uh, I watched the Channel 4 documentary and then there was another another documentary um, from 2007 and I think it was also a British one from Channel 5 um, but I might just be saying that because the other one was from Channel 4 but uh, that also interviewed him and much older and um, he started starring in porno <sighs> sadomasochistic porn where he uh, would be getting beat up, tied up, slapped around by big Western women, wh- white women. Oh my God. One of the pornos that he stars in featured him having a relationship with a Dutch woman where they actually go to like this theme park that's, <gasps> that's Dutch themed. So it is like, Beyond the bounds of good, of bad taste, yeah. beyond the bounds of exploitation, like he enjoys the fact that he is, he is like this disgusting celebrity poor for woman's this crime. Family. Yes. Yeah. That's what everyone, all the people, the talking heads in these documentaries, yeah. the cops. And there's a, there's a really amazing, um, a professor, a professor that they talk to from Cambridge, who's like all of his books are immoral garbage. <laughs> so does the judge who in France does he get talk shit on? Who like was like he's just crazy? Let's send him away. It doesn't seem like it. Mm. No, none of those things really seem to be connected yeah. in any way. Like and if he had been brought to trial in France, then maybe. But basically, I'm not fucking blaming French people. Just that one judge, or it's like you got to let other people decide if he's crazy or not. Maybe it was his theory, and there wasn't enough like psychological evidence to argue it. Yeah. Um. But I mean, yeah, that's. I think that that was the beginning of the breakdown. Also, if his dad have en- had enough money, and this is again just yeah. a theory of mine, I'm making up in the on the spot. He might have just paid that judge off, and he's just like. Yeah, it's that or he would have gotten if the trial had gone if it had gone to trial, he would have had a fucking great attorney and would have gotten him off anyway. So it wouldn't have mattered. I mean, the whole but the whole thing is so insane and disgusting because he did it. He said he did it. The evidence proves he did it. He took this life and then defiled it the worst way he possibly could. And then just kind of nothing happened. So in these documentaries, he's he's telling people about him he's ta- he loves talking about himself you can tell <gasps> laughing and he says he he claims that he has no desire to murder anyone but he still wants to eat a woman so it's not the murder he yeah. tries to rationalize okay but it's just the eating of the flesh and he also you clearly he has romanticized and rationalized this idea that whole theory of if i just eat someone i will be whole and all yeah. that stuff is basically kind of his like calling card yeah. of like here's why i did it and it's yeah. almost poetic how i needed this because i'm so small and ugly poor me yeah when it's like yeah okay go on in 2009 he gave a vice an interview in vice so vice did a whole story about him um which i didn't watch because after the second documentary i watched i was like i've had it with this guy yeah but steven told me a super hilarious part do you want to tell everybody that part okay so yeah when i was reading or looking at this interview my the part that really stuck out to me was the interviewer at some point i think like a third of the way through he said i'm just gonna plot ahead with these questions so i can get the fuck out of here (laughs) 
that's how creepy this guy is. Oh my god! Like, and at the beginning of the "Excuse Me for Living" documentary, it's really beautifully and amazingly shot. He's getting a haircut, <gasps> but he's just staring into the camera as someone cuts his hair. And I swear to God, he doesn't blink for like two minutes. Oh my god! It's really, really fucking unnerving and very strange. I don't so want to like, watch it. I want to see a photo. Yeah, you have to look at it. But but when Steven sent me that text, I was just like, holy shit! Like it must. It, he must be so much even more of yeah. his own ass after because he's still alive. Yes. He's still free. He, both his parents he's fucking died. Famous. Yes. He doesn't have any money. Um, like he he had to pay off his parents' debts, and you know he wasn't he was like living in whatever state run housing for a while or whatever, but. But basically, he's living free and he's kind of doing whatever he wants. And people are still yeah. talking to him about his crime, uh, even to this day. Oh, also in, in that, um, Vice interview, I read a thing where he said, um, uh, he would love to be killed by a beautiful woman, um, or he would love to drown in female saliva. Ew. And that, my friend, is Japanese cannibal. Issei Sagawa. What the fucking fuck? Isn't that nuts? Yes. There's lots of things you can watch with that guy in it talking about himself. I just want to see a photo of him, but I don't want to watch anything. Okay. We'll fair? get you a photo. I'll, I'll okay. email you a photo later tonight. I would love that. Okay, perfect. Um. Oh, God. Yeah. I need a, a fucking hooray Silkwood shower <laughs> after this episode. How about we fucking hooray ourselves out of out of all those bad vibes right now? Let's do it. Okay. This is something that I found a guy that I follow on Twitter named Adam Jeskowitz. Jeskowitz, yeah. Um, he tweeted this uh, this afternoon, and I I can't stop watching it. So apparently on the Lakers, I'm about to talk about basketball, which what? I know nothing about. Get ready. Okay. We're going into a totally new territory. I'm I'm ready. I'm scared. <laughs> I'm here with you. Stay with me. Let's do it. The apparently the Los Angeles Lakers. Heard of them. That's a team here in our city. Heard of it. They there is a guy who last night played in the game of basketball okay he spent 10 years in something called the g league okay so he basically was like a farm team is what i'm assuming okay for basketball spent 10 years playing in it and last night played his first they brought him up to the <gasps> big leagues and they he played his first game as a los angeles laker mm -hmm. against houston mm -hmm. he scored fucking 19 points people were chanting <gasps> mvp he just keeps hitting threes amazing. you have to see there is i'm a assuming those are all good things i don't know yes it's the best amazing you, there's a one minute video that i retweeted <gasps> onto my twitter okay. that i started watching and i couldn't stop crying <laughs> And this is what I love. Uh, Adam Joskowicz, who tweeted originally, wrote, even if you don't enjoy basketball, this is pretty lovely. Dude fought for a decade for this moment. And when it finally happened, it was perfect. He's also a volunteer tutor to kids and seems like a genuinely good person. And in this video, his, his teammates are up off the bench <sighs> fucking screaming. It is like one of the most inspirational, beautiful things I've ever seen. And as someone who like, uh, you know, I've lived in Los Angeles for 24 fucking years. Mm -hmm. I have tried to do things and given up about four different times. Oh, yeah. And to see a thing like that where this is a guy that just plugged along and then walked out on the court and nailed it. Mm -hmm. And he's he's in his 30s, I think. 
So, which is, you know, That's, for an yeah. NBA player, yeah. I, n- not young, just fucking incredible. Like, if you get a chance, even if you don't give a shit about sports, look it up. You will fucking love this story. Okay. It's the best. I love it. It made me so happy. You're crying right now. It's I, do, I did it's a light so cry. Sweet. I just fucking really relate. His name, again, Andre Ingram. And okay. he, congratulations, LA Laker Andre Ingram, because the world fucking loves you right now. Suddenly we care about fucking basketball they made us care i have i too want to shout out two instagrams that are making me happy or like social media things one is this i i follow this fucking body positive model uh on instagram name uh ali tate who posts these photos of herself that are so she's what one would call a plus size model which means she looks like a normal woman right and she posts photos of herself in beautiful clothing she posts photos of herself in bathing suits and she has my body she has a normal woman's body and she's so positive about it she posts these photos where she's naked and bending over and there's rolls and it's just made me look at my own body and be like you that just because you have those things doesn't mean it's unattractive and it's it's been really wonderful and she seems really sweet so that's Allie Tate the other one that's uh, not body positive, but it's been making me fucking crack up. And I think it's brand new. It's called Honest Couple. And oh, uh, yes, that's Jake Wiseman. Jake Wiseman created <laughs> this fucking Instagram account. It's so funny. Where he takes fucking like stock photos of couples that just look like the most annoying couples you've ever seen in your life and posts the honest caption of what one of them is really thinking and I just cannot get enough of it and I love it so much so I think he needs to it needs to be a thing yeah it's so hilarious it's like two people it looks like they're on a hike and they're taking a a selfie of themselves they're both smiling and gorgeous like stock photo and then underneath it it says he hasn't made her come in two years (laughs) right or it'll say he made me cry three minutes after this photo was taken it's just like or her friends are the least funny people I've ever met in my life it's just this he was like, I'm sick of these photos of like perfect couples. And then you find out they broke up a week later. Of so course. What's really fucking happening. It's so hilarious. It's the best. He's so funny. And also watch corporate on Comedy Central because he's one of the one of the stars. of That's it. right. Yeah. And a great stand up comic. He is really funny. Oh, Matt Engelbretson, too, of course. Yeah. Matt, calm down. <laughs> Matt, you're tall. You're tall. So You've got shut it. Shut up. <laughs> um, thanks for listening, you guys. God, was this a three fucking hour episode? <laughs> that was nuts. It feels like it. It was a three can fucking sparkling <laughs> wine episode. That's how you know. George just threw half a six pack of wine <laughs> and feeling fine feeling myself feeling fine uh-uh. sink it georgia sink it that's a basketball cheer oh. it's all full fucking circle it comes back to fucking cheerleading we always bring it back around for you the listener we love you stay sexy and don't get murdered goodbye Bye. oh elvis i think he's under the he's right there elvis you want cookie <laughs> good boy <laughs>